Hello and welcome to the Armenian News Network Room. I'm Asped Bedrosian. And I'm Hovik Manucharyan. In this Conversations on Growing episode, we'll be talking with two specialists from Armenia and from Azerbaijan and explore their views and perspectives on the problems and solutions they envision for the long-term peace between the neighbors. Before we begin though, uh, please support us by subscribing to our channel on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. You know, we're available on most social media and podcast platforms out there. So check the links in the show notes uh, to find out more ways that you can listen and follow us. Thank you. So why is there a need to have such a discussion right now? <clears throat> the temperature of the post-war negotiations between Armenia and Azerbaijan has reached a boiling point. And Azerbaijan's president, Aliyev, has been issuing ultimatums and demands for dates for Armenia to open corridors for Azerbaijan. In trying to create a more informed Armenian public about these negotiations, we hope that such discussions can clarify what the sides are saying to each other and what the sides are hearing from each other and the gap in understanding. This episode is being recorded on Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. Let's go to that conversation right now. And after the conclusion, Hovig and I will do a quick recap with our impressions. Since the second war in Artsakh in 2020, also known as the 44-day war, which culminated in the signing of the November agreement by Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Russia, the three countries have been negotiating the fulfillment of that agreement. The agreement contained nine points, of which the first five are primarily complete, six and seven are more or less in progress, but eight and nine continue to be deeply problematic despite intensive and contentious year-long negotiations. Point eight is about the exchange of prisoners of war, POWs. It should have been a simple and humanitarian exchange, but Azerbaijan had different ideas. Point nine is about opening communications and transport links between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and then more widely throughout the region, as we've seen. Negotiations have been complex, and frustrations have caused flare-ups that have killed dozens more Armenian soldiers and citizens since the war ended over a year ago. What are the perspectives and stumbling blocks that have prevented peace a year after the war ended? To talk about these issues, we are joined by Dr. Benjamin Bogosian, who is the chairman of the Yerevan-based think tank, Center for Political and Economic Strategic Studies, and Dr. Anar Valiev, who is associate professor at ADA University in Azerbaijan. Let me say that Drs. Bogosian and Valiev are members of the Joint Armenia-Azerbaijan Liaison Group on Confidence-Building Measures in Support of Peace in the South Caucasus, convened by the Lynx Europe Foundation with the support of the European Union. Hello and welcome, everyone. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Dr. Valiev, this is the first time you are on our show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your presence. The pleasure is mine. Thank you. Take it away, Benjamin. Thank you, Osped. Um, thank you, Hovik. It's always a pleasure to be your host. And uh, definitely, thanks going on to honor to agree, to participate, and share the views and also the logic behind Azerbaijani perspective, especially after the Second War. And I believe that both Armenian and Azerbaijani societies in general, but also expert community in particular, needs these type of conversations. And again, I would like to emphasize that this is not a, like a classic debate. No one is going to convince each other. We simply would like to have a conversation to better understand 
not only what we are thinking, because more or less it's obvious, but also try to better understand why we think in such ways. And uh, I would Thank like you. to concentrate the a podcast on several issues. First, the future of Nagorno-Karabakh. Second, these communications issues. And third, the regional actors, the most probably the role of Russia and Turkey, how it's perceived in Armenian and Azerbaijan. And mostly because uh, the main audience is Armenian audience. I would like, of course, I will also express my views, but I will appreciate to have more honor speaking, presenting way of thinking of uh, Azerbaijan, at least on Azerbaijan expert community on these three topics. So to start the conversations, I would uh, elaborate one questions for honor and then we'll move forward. So before the 2020 war, when negotiations continued within Minsk Group co-chairmanship, the Azerbaijani official position reiterated by both President Aliyev and also then Foreign Minister Mamadiarov was that Azerbaijan was ready to provide the highest level of autonomy for Nagorno-Karabakh only within Azerbaijan. Of course, there was no detailed explanation what does this autonomy mean? Do we speak about something like in Scotland in United Kingdom or Republic of Tatarstan in Russian Federation or something else? But at least there was a, this clear repeated statement that, okay, we will never agree to see Nagorno-Karabakh outside of Azerbaijan, but we are ready to provide Nagorno-Karabakh the highest uh, possible level of autonomy in the world. And also, Azerbaijani leadership uh, used the term Nagorno-Karabakh. However, after the war, uh, we repeatedly hear the official statements uh, that uh, there is no Nagorno-Karabakh and no status, no talks, no status uh, can be continued. And even we hear these expressions that status has been thrown into the history trash bin, uh, if uh, I'm trying to translate it precisely. So first of all, my understanding or my question going to Anar, why uh, this change or, or why this significant or strategic shift in Azerbaijan's attitude and is the uh, only reason of this is the outcomes of, of the war and the fact of military defeat of our Armenia, that Azerbaijan thinks that if before war Azerbaijan was ready to speak about the highest level of autonomy, now Azerbaijan is not ready even to speak about Nagorno-Karabakh. And as far as I know, uh, Azerbaijani officials and also expert community avoid using term Nagorno-Karabakh, using only the term Karabakh Economic Zone, which was established uh, in July 2021 by President Aliyev's degree, along with other economic zones. So can we assume that the only reason behind this significant shift in Azerbaijani position is the military defeat of Armenia, or there are some other reasons why Azerbaijan thinks in this way, that there is no Nagorno-Karabakh and no discussions on status can be proceed neither within OSTMIS group or in any other bilateral or multilateral formats. And our floor is uh, yours, and then we will continue. And again, thanks for accepting this offer and thanks for participation. Sure. Thank you very much, Benjamin. Thank you very much for all other uh, people who invited me over here. Well, if we discuss it from the perspective of the real politics, we have to do just a little bit look at the, what's happened, what was Azerbaijan position for the last 27 years, not 27, 26 years, from 1994 when we signed ceasefire in Bishkek until 2020. So the situation was just the following. For the 26 years, Azerbaijan was offering something to Armenian side, 
in order to stop this conflict. So that, that's what we were offering for the long period of time for 26 years. Again, it was also coming from the real politics issue that Armenians have a control over the uh, Karabakh, they have control over the seven regions beyond of the Karabakh, so they, and we cannot change the situation, we can change the quo. And it was for the 26 years, it was offered that, okay, we can give you higher status, we can give you a similar status of the Tatarstan, even some people even talk about Island Island, there was different type of the model of or so, so on. But that was coming again from the, again, real politics and Armenian side was standing on the stronger side, simply stating that, why should I concede something if I have a upper, if I have a kind of stronger side. So what happened after the uh, 44 day war, the situation changed, completely changed. So if we're coming up from the perspective of the real politics, Azerbaijan is simply saying, guys, we changed the situation. We changed the situation in the battlefield. The same way as Armenians for 26 years were telling us, I'm not gonna go for any type of the yielding or any kind of the, uh, I don't say negotiation, but some kind of the giving up or some concession, the same way Azerbaijan is, uh, perception of Azerbaijan is that we almost finished the war. We almost finished the conflict that was haunted, was haunting us for ever since we were became independent. Ever since Azerbaijan became independent or even before that, Karabakh conflict was always with us. It shaped all our future. It shaped all, all our independence. Now we finally, on the little bit of solving this issue. I mean, some even perceptions simply stating that uh, involvement of Russians didn't allow Azerbaijan to completely solve this conflict or something like that, but that will be kind of a different discussion. But we're very close to the solving this issue. Why, and speaking from the real politics, why should we yield on certain type of the demands of Armenians if we have a stronger side? Why should we just go for any type of the, uh, you're talking about status or something, but if we already kind of solved this conflict or solved this problem. Status was before when there was a certain type of the hope that uh, there will be no victims, there will be no death or something like that. We can just agree with Armenians and so on. But now there's no point of the status because technically, uh, yes, we know that the Armenians being over there, they're under the Russian control or the Russian peacekeepers or so on. But technically right now, there's no way for going back what's happened before 44-day war because it's simply the coming from reality. The reality is stating that we are stronger, we got what we wanted, and we are on the little bit verge of the finishing the problem. Again, trying to understand problem means the conflict not just the problem of the Armenians living in Karabakh. It's about, it's about conflict. That's what- Okay, uh, thanks. Let's a uh, uh, little bit deep elaborate on this. Before, if you look into the negotiation process starting from 1994 and all these offers, even in 1997, the package deals and the step-by-step -step deal offered in December 1997, the joint state deals and negotiations in Kuwait, and then finally the break process, which culminated in Madrid document, then updated Madrid principles, Kazan document, and some variation of Kazan documents. So except the first package deal, which was offered in summer 1997, which uh, offered the highest level of autonomy for Karabakh within Azerbaijan, like declaring that, okay, Karabakh should be the Euro part of Azerbaijan, but de facto independent state. And this was in summer 1997. After that, all OFA Miss Group co-chair offers, again, starting from step-by-step -step approach offered, I believe, in December 1997, 
until some modified versions of Kazan document, which were on the table, maybe until the start of the war in 2020, they all put clear differentiation between Nagorno-Karabakh itself, and by telling Nagorno-Karabakh, at least international community understood the former Nagorno-Karabakh autonomous region or autonomous oblast, and other territories or the seven region outside Nagorno-Karabakh autonomous oblast, which fully or partly were under the Armenian control as a result of the 1994 war. So from this perspective, as a result of the 44-day uh, war, yes, uh, Azerbaijan took through military means and some regions as a result of this trilateral statement, uh, almost all of these seven regions, except this narrow uh, latching corridor, which is technically under Russian control, and also some 25 or 30 percent of Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast itself. But the 70 percent of this uh, former Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast uh, remains there. So, I mean, yes, definitely no one is arguing. Uh, Armenia was defeated, and this was a very heavy defeat, and Azerbaijan won decisive victory. But in any case, even from the negotiation perspective, so uh, there was a clear distinction between Enkao, if in Russian, and in these seven regions. So when Azerbaijan is telling, okay, because I took these seven regions and 30% of Enkao, it means that, okay, I almost have resolved the conflict. From Armenian perspective, it uh, sounds a little bit strange because, for example, in Kazan in 2011, according to Armenian narrative, Armenian President Serge Sarkisan was ready to sign Kazan document to uh, give to Azerbaijan immediately the five regions, except Lachin and Kelbajar, and then to give Kelbajar and part of Lachin besides Corridor after this, uh, after the implementation of this legally binding expression of will to determine the final status of Nagorno-Karabakh. So from Armenian perspective, the conflict always was about the status of Nagorno-Karabakh, not only about the territories. And now, uh, there is no final status of Nagorno-Karabakh. Yes, Azerbaijan is telling that there is no Nagorno-Karabakh at all. But fact is fact that there are Russian peacekeepers who are deployed from Russian perspective in Nagorno-Karabakh. If we look into the Russian documents and into the daily statements of uh, Russian Ministry of Defense, Russian peacekeepers deployed in Nagorno-Karabakh. Armenians continue living in Nagorno-Karabakh, albeit only on 70% of the former Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast territory. But again, just... Uh, from Armenian perspective, you cannot say that conflict is solved because conflict was about the core of the conflict or core of the negotiation was about the status of Nagorno-Karabakh. And all discussions were going uh, about the different ways how we can solve this Nagorno-Karabakh status. Either step-by-step approach is uh, to organize somewhere in the future this legally binding expression of will. That is why, uh, from Armenian perspective, if Azerbaijan is telling, okay, I defeated Armenia, it's the day I started war, I defeated Armenia, I took a lot of territories, which means that there is no conflict. Uh, this uh, perceived in Armenia with a little bit, not even misperception, this myth understanding. Because again, Armenians are living in Nagorno-Karabakh. I'm going, not going, going to the details about the number. We can use different numbers, but even the numbers are not this issue. They are X, Y, or Z. The fact is that Armenians live in Nagorno-Karabakh. The fact is that Armenians are telling that we don't want to be a part of uh, part of Azerbaijan, and if Azerbaijan says there is no conflict, okay, uh, so what will be the end game? Okay, now Russians are there. This is a de facto Russian-controlled territory. Let's be uh, let's be frank. But from Azerbaijani perspective, let's assume that someday, for whatever reasons, 
Russian peacekeepers will be withdrawn from Nagorno-Karabakh for whatever reasons, uh, based on some Russia-Azerbaijan deal or some other strategic calculus of Kremlin, which is beyond our comprehension. But in any case, even if there are no Russian troops in Nagorno-Karabakh, fact is fact that these people who live in the territories currently under the protection or control of uh, Russian peacekeepers, they don't want to be part of Azerbaijan. So when Azerbaijan is telling that there is no conflict and there is no status, so what's the Azerbaijanis' perspective? Okay, Russian troops are not there. You will say, okay, this is a part of Azerbaijan. These people will say no. So the end game is like to send troops from Agadam via Askan to Stepanakert, or as you tell in Kankendi, or from Shushi or Shusha to Stepanakert, like to militarily uh, conquer all Karabakh. So what's the end game from Azerbaijani perspective when you say that there, are, there is no conflict? Because from Armenian perspective, the core issue, the core reason of the conflict was first of all status of Nagorno-Karabakh and the fact that Armenians don't want to live within Azerbaijan because they have a lot of reasons not to live under the Azerbaijani control and we can elaborate also on this. But now, so I just want to, uh, if you can further elaborate on this, because our audience want to better understand, okay, if the status issue is there, Armenians are there in Nagorno-Karabakh who clearly stating that we don't want to be a part of Azerbaijan. How we can say that there is no conflict and how Azerbaijan perceives hypothetical situation? Okay, let's assume there are no uh, Russian forces and Armenians are telling we don't want to be a part of Azerbaijan. I mean, simply Azerbaijan would start third war, like to take militarily take control over this remaining territory or what your perception well let me just a little bit go go back to the for the 2018 year if you allow me to a little bit from further yes of, course. Um, yes, of course when, uh, when you navigate through this yeah. chronology let's put so this i'll just yes. try to just to give perception of Azerbaijan. 2018 yes. nicole pashinyan comes to the power there's a huge oh, after velvet revolution yes there was a yes. huge not kind of the support, but kind of the enthusiasm among Azerbaijani society that finally someone in Armenia comes to the power uh, that does, is not involved into the Karabakh war. His hands is not in the you blood. Mean personally. Sorry? You mean personally, yeah. was not participated in yes, war? Yes, like, yes. Like uh, President Kocharyan, President Sarkisyan, or... Uh... Even Terpetrosyan, who was the president of Armenia who started all this mess or something. So finally comes the person who is completely kind of clean from that perspective. And if you look at the Azerbaijani mass media or Azerbaijani signal that Azerbaijan sent to Armenia, I'm talking about the peace kind of initiatives or so on. It's it's after the, all the Madrid principles, Kazan principles, when everybody was- Yeah, we are speaking about 2018. Yes, yes, right after that. So. There was a huge enthusiasm and there was a certain type of the signal coming from Azerbaijani society and Azerbaijan establishment toward Armenia. One of the first thing was uh, kind of, I wouldn't say zero, but extremely low level of the criticism of Nikol Pashinyan in Azerbaijani mass media. There was no such kind of thing. There was some, but not much compared to what happened with Sarkisians or Kachian. So there was some kind of the kind of impression that in Azerbaijan, in Azerbaijan there's a certain type of the positive image of Nikol Pashinyan. Then well, there's a couple of other initiatives Azerbaijan did, first of all, removing the military troops from Kazakh region. That's right in the border with Armenia. I think it's the Norimberian region of Armenia, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, and Norimberian is a city, yes, we are speaking about oh, yeah, yeah. region of... Uh, when I was six years old, I was there, around over there, 
uh, before that. So I still remember no Norumbirian city or Ijevan or something. So from Kazakh yeah, region, Ijevan is the capital away, of the uh, Tavos region. Yeah. yeah. So removing the military troops and subsidizing the, the border patrol, border control. So it was a signal that we don't expect from Armenia anything from that side. And there were some kind of the kind of discussion that it's 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 coming. It's 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 a new wave of the negotiations coming, and it will be better right now, finally. But it turned out in 2019 that Pashinyan was not supposed to just to continue to for peace negotiations. He just went for the rhetoric. He went for the uh, certain type of the a lot of anti-Azerbaijani statement. He went to Iran and made a picture and said, and finally he said somewhere in Russia that Karabakh is Armenia and so on and so forth. That led slowly to the intensification of the rhetoric that sooner or later brought to the war in 2020 in July. So the incidents or something, we still don't know what's really happening because Azerbaijani side claim it's Armenian side attack, Armenian say it's Azerbaijani, but even looking from Armenian side, kind of expert, it stated that it was actual Armenians war who were, again, I'm not accusing, but it was Armenian side that kind of miscalculated certain type of things or misunderstood. And that led to the July 2020 war. That was a kind of the watershed for Azerbaijani society. It's a first thing. Second, what I want to kind of, it will be a little bit cynical from my side to say, but I would say that the war, 44 day war was one of the merciful wars maybe on the whole territories of the former Soviet Union republics. Merciful, I mean, there was no huge civilian death compared to the scales of the war from both sides. Although Armenians shelled Azerbaijani side, Azerbaijani shelled Armenian side and so on. But the using of the drones and using of the precise weapons led to the extremely, I mean, again, it's a little bit cynical from my side to say because one death, it's still death but extremely low number of the deaths. So if Azerbaijan wanted to cleanse the whole territory of Karabakh from Armenia, from Armenians, it had used completely other methods. So called in Russian called Kavrovo Bombimitania or just a carpet bombing or doing something uh, nasty. You mean a story so that uh, theoretically Azerbaijan could simply destroy everything? Technically, if, like, okay, technically yeah, yes. if we're talking about war, if we're talking about the total war, if we're thinking about that Azerbaijan wants to completely cleanse Armenians from the Nagorno-Karabakh, that the understanding is let's let's uh, not kill, but let's uh, just scare them out a lot and just to bring a lot of kind of the victims to the to this war. But the war was not on a such kind of scale. I we still believe there's some kind of number that be a little bit above 100 people of Armenians, civilians died in Karabakh, but again, it's one of the merciful wars in the territory of the former Soviet Union, especially because of the Azerbaijan never wanted, and never wanted, like it could be strong kind of statement, but it's never wanted to kind of inflict heavy civilian damage on Armenians. So from that perspective, uh, once, once Azerbaijan so liberated- so this, is a, this is from Azerbaijani perspective. Yes, Azerbaijani exactly. Perspective, That's what I'm talking about Azerbaijan from Azerbaijan. Everything, Azerbaijan did everything possible to reduce the collateral damage. If you may use Absolutely. this term collateral because... damage on civilian deaths, but we understand it. If I got yes. you right, that yes. Azerbaijan Absolutely. did because... everything possible. Because we remember, 1994. We remember 1993 because whenever the war happened in 1993, 1994, we got completely negative image in Armenian press and United States, in U.S. press 
because of the Armenian diaspora, Armenian lobby in France, in the United States, in Russia, everybody would be screaming around barbarians, Azerbaijanians, killings Ar Armenians, and so on. So we try to just to diminish or minimize the possible uh, victims of Armenian population in Karabakh. If so, again, if we wanted to make it kind of completely cleansing, look at the Russians who did in Chechnya, or we look at other kinds of the issues. There was no such intention to clean to kill or cleanse Armenians from Karabakh. Even after the liberation of Shusha, the game was over. You could just easily put certain type of artillery weapon. Of course, the Russians intervened and so on. But again, uh, the, there was no intention of Azerbaijan to cleanse. Uh, Armenians. So coming back to the issue of the status, again, it's a lot of things uh, depends on the Karabakh Armenians and uh, from perspective of what they want. Azerbaijan clearly stated, you are my citizens. You are Armenians, the same as uh, Russians, Talish, Lesgi, Avar, Tsakhur, different ethnic groups. The living in Azerbaijan. And the others. Yes, you are part of our nation. You're important part of our nation. We're all Azerbaijanis, you're just ethnic Armenians, there's ethnic groups. So you're part of us. So let's deal based on this kind of issue. What can we do with you? What do you want? But within the framework of my territorial integrity. I recognize Armenian territorial integrity. Armenia sooner or later will recognize our territorial integrity. Okay, this is my problem to deal with Armenia. So if Armenia wants to help, welcome. You can help in general things. But again, this is my citizens and I'm dealing with that. So if you don't want to live inside uh, Azerbaijan as a, every other citizen of Azerbaijan, then there's a problem. What we're gonna do, what will gonna happen, that's already another issue. But the signal is, this is our citizens. We don't want to cleanse them. We don't want them just to them leave to Azerbaijan to go back to Armenia or so on. We wanted to leave them together. The war is over. The conflict is over. Whatever haunted us for 30 years, it's over. Now let's live in peace. So that's let's, a message. Uh, give... That's a message. Okay, yes, yes. It could be idealistic, but this is a message. Okay, and from Armenian perspective, when Azerbaijani uh, government, President Aliyev or other officials are telling that, okay, Armenians are citizens of Azerbaijan, and they should be uh, as uh, any other ethnic groups or ethnic minorities in Azerbaijan, like you mentioned, a lot of like lesbians, ours, thoughts, and definitely there are maybe some others. And okay, Azerbaijan is ready to provide all the rights to Armenian uh, citizen, to citizens of Azerbaijan of Armenian ethnic origin, maybe including rights uh, which are fixed by Council of Europe resolutions or uh, understanding of ethnic minorities. But the first question which rises in Armenian mind is this okay if Azerbaijani thinks that all Armenians are Azerbaijani citizens living also in Nagorno-Karabakh or in the territories of former Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast and Azerbaijan is happy to provide them all uh, rights accepted in internationally for the ethnic minorities the first question which raises from Armenian point of view is that okay why after 13 months after the war I believe it's 13 months because it was November 10 now we are September 14. Why we have uh, zero Armenians living in those territories of former Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast, and I'm not speaking even about these seven regions. I'm speaking about the territories of former Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Region, the entire Hadrut region, city Shushi, and there are several villages in other uh, regions like Martagerd, Askeran, Martuni, which as a result of war now are under Azerbaijani control. Why? 13, one, three, 13 months after the war, 
we have zero Armenian living there with Azerbaijani passport, enjoying the rights of uh, being an Azerbaijani citizen. So this is the first question which arises into the Armenian mind. Okay, if you are telling us that Armenians in Stepanakert could happily live having Azerbaijani passports and enjoying ethnic minority rights. So why we don't see the Armenians happily living in Shushi and Hadrut with Azerbaijani passports and enjoying uh, rights of ethnic minorities, the rights of uh, okay, average Azerbaijani uh, uh, citizens? So this is a, a basic uh, question number one, which definitely rises in uh, Armenian brains, both in Armenia and outside Armenia. So there is a perception that, okay, oh, these are only nice talks, but the reality is unfortunately much harsher that uh, when territory is under Azerbaijani control, we have no Armenians. And this is a fact. At least I'm speaking about the territories which Azerbaijan took as a result of 44-day war. So how Azerbaijani, uh, Azerbaijan, both Azerbaijani perceptions on this, why no Armenians currently live in Shushi, Hadrut, or you can uh, use other terms or other names, but even the names are not important. Why Armenians are don't living there, enjoying the Azerbaijani passport, receiving Azerbaijani pensions, I don't know, etc., etc. Et well, that's, I would say, will be in the long run. It's just only 13 months. There's 3,000 Azerbaijani soldiers died. There's uh, several hundreds of civilians died in the cities of Ganja, Berda, Tartar, and there is a certain type of the, if not image, but a certain type of the still sour in the hearts of many Azerbaijanis, especially with the uh, rocket attacks against Ganja city that happened several times that killed a lot of children, not children, but uh, but there was a couple of children were killed or so. So the sour of the, or just the sorrow of um, among Azerbaijani society is pretty much high. We're still suffering from the trauma of this war. 3,000 young men died with the several hundreds of the civilians and with a, with a huge economic kind of the, not disaster, but a huge economic blow or so on. It's still affecting Azerbaijani society. So it will be very difficult, even the government want to just to bring back Armenians to who lived there before, some for that. That will be very difficult to explain. So we shed the blood, we deoccupied our territories, and now we're bringing back those occupants who are taking my land. So try to explain to the average Azerbaijani that I was fighting for my land. I, I took back my land. And now you want to bring back the former occupant of my land to this territory. So we lived 27 years in the trap of the myths. We created the myths, both Armenian society and Azerbaijani society. There's a very low level of the trust. If you open Azerbaijani mass media or you open Armenian mass media, there's a lot of mistrust toward each other. So any small kind of the step, let's say even positive step from Azerbaijani side will be considered negatively from Armenian side or vice versa. So I think it's too early to think about returns of Armenians to the, to the territories where they were before or return of Azerbaijani kind of refugees going back to Khojavant uh, and Aghdara, what you call the Martuni and uh, Mardaker and so on. So it's still early to think about that. So I think what we discover, everybody wants to kind of the one-time peace agreement signing tomorrow and everybody, everybody will be living happily even after. I think the road toward the peace is a one by one, step by step. And that's what's really happening. Slowly, step by step, uh, by the small, for example, 
today I heard that there's a uh, kind of net negotiation, but there's a certain type of a signal that Armenia and Turkey uh, normalize their relations. Okay, uh, Turkish borders was all the time Azerbaijani leverage in negotiations with Armenians. Now we can see that this leverage, Azerbaijan is not using any more leverage. So technically sending the signal, okay, the border is something between Turkey and Armenia, because uh, we are not involved in the relations between Turkey and Armenia. Turkey is our brother of the nation, it's our friend and so on. But this is the relations between Turkey and Armenia. That's a very, very, very strong signal that Armenia and uh, Turkey starts uh, thinking about the charter roads, they're thinking about their special representatives or so on. So it means something going on from one side. The second thing, something could happen in Karabakh. For example, today the news was that uh, one of the thorny moments in Azerbaijani perception of Karabakh, that was a uh, Karabakh separatist military forces. Now there's a kind of a signal sent that these forces would be transformed into the militarized police. So that was the first agreement of Azerbaijan that we don't want any military forces in Karabakh. And that's what's really happening. These forces will become uh, militarized police. Okay, good signal. So step by step, something else coming from Azerbaijani side, something else coming from Armenia side. So the, it's the signal one by one, hopefully will break the mistrust. Because again, we live in stereotypes. We think that we know Armenians and Armenians think that they know us, but they absolutely live in the myth and we completely live in the stereotypes. Was okay, just to... let's uh, jump. Uh, of course, this is a very interesting topic and we can discuss for hours and hours, but because we have time limits and definitely you have a time limit and the podcast host have time limits. So let's go into these regional actors. And as you touched the issue about the possible start of normalization, uh, between Turkey and Armenia. And yes, yesterday, Turkey's foreign minister made a statement that Turkey is going to appoint a special representative for normalization of relations. And today, Armenia confirms this, that yes, also Armenian side will appoint special representative for the normalization of relations with Turkey. And as you mentioned, yes, in 2008-2009, in so-called soccer diplomacy or football diplomacy, Azerbaijan was very much against uh, exist, telling that, okay, as far as status quo has not been changed in Karabakh, we are against any normalization between Turkey and Armenia. And we are against any border opening because definitely Azerbaijan perceived the closed border of Turkey-Armenia closed border as a leverage to put pressure on Armenia, to put economic pain on Armenia, and somehow to force Armenia to accept that, okay, Karabakh should be part of Azerbaijan with some level of autonomy, but like Armenia should accept that, okay, Karabakh could not be outside of uh, Azerbaijan. Now, can't we say that from Azerbaijani perspective, Azerbaijan believes that somehow Armenia accepted this fact. Like, okay, the Karabakh conflict has been solved, uh, which means that Azerbaijan does not need this leverage to force Armenia to accept Azerbaijani conditions, because if not the euro, at least de facto Armenia, or as a result of the war, Armenia accepted these Azerbaijani conditions or Azerbaijani views that Karabakh cannot be out of Azerbaijan. That is why Azerbaijan is not against Armenia-Turkey normalization, because Azerbaijan does not need to use uh, Turkey's pressure on Armenia as a leverage, because there is no need of leverage, because Azerbaijan received what it wanted from Armenia. Is this Azerbaijani perspective somehow? Beyond of that, there's a strong signal that the region should be open from any of the blockages. 
So Turkish-Armenian border is a blockage for the transportation routes. Zangezur corridor that Armenia does not want to give to Azerbaijan to connect Azerbaijan with Nakhchivan and with Turkey, it's also blockage. So let's open up the region for all transportation communication. So we are not against technically, not because what we got during the war, but technically we are opening the whole region for transportation corridors. Let's open, let's kind of open up the Azerbaijani, kind of the borders for Armenian transportation of all the goods toward the Russia or any other country, open Armenian transportation, uh, Armenian territories for Azerbaijani transportation goods. So we do not see any more, uh, again, leverage from perspective, again, again, talking about the uh, real politics, Azerbaijan was always keeping in its back a certain type of the leverages. Turkish border was one of them, uh, kind of the buying the weapons was another one for Azerbaijan all the time, time building the army and so on. So it was all the time Azerbaijan policy to uh, bring Armenia to the peace through the various diplomatic ways. So the unfortunate war in 2020 was completely uh, kind of unfortunate. But right now, what is Azerbaijan's signal is, let's open the region. Let's open the old transportation routes. Zangezur corridor, Turkish-Armenian borders, uh, any other blockages that we have so far in order to just benefit altogether. By the way, in 2009, I will just go back to, if you have two minutes, yes. uh, Azerbaijan not necessarily was against of opening the borders between Turkey and Armenia. If you if you know that in the beginning, Azerbaijan was kind of the neutral standing aside and looking what's going to happen. And once the, there was certain type of the soccer diplomacy started, Sarkisian, uh, I think there was some type of protocol signed and so on. Yes, two protocols signed in theory. Yeah, rhetoric of Armenian president completely changed. If he was before a little bit softer, after the signing of the protocols, he completely went to the hard line. And that was kind of the signal for Azerbaijan that, okay, we say that we do not kind of oppose opening the border because we hope Armenians will give something us back. Uh, take giving us back five territories, five regions or so on. But it turned out that Armenians is not, are not going to fulfill that uh, kind of promise that opening the border will bring certain type of the uh, concessions in Karabakh. And that's immediately was a kind of the red line for Azerbaijan. Okay, that the Azerbaijan kind of public intervened, they intervened to the Turkish uh, domestic politics. That's what would happen when the uh, soccer diplomacy, did, Azerbaijan began to oppose soccer diplomacy. But if you look at the first period, there was no opposing from Azerbaijanis because they hoped they that this. Also... Yeah, go ahead. They jump into the communication issues because today also President Aliyev publicly made a statement about Azerbaijani position, about which almost all Armenian experts knew starting from May 2021. President Aliyev, during his press conference with NATO Secretary General, publicly stated that uh, either Armenia will provide the same arrangements for highway and railway passing through Sunik region as uh, the same arrangement that now are in place regarding the Lachin Corridor, which means that Armenia should agree to implement no customs and passport control for Azerbaijani freight uh, people or etc. when they will pass through Sunik province of Armenia to reach Nakhchivan Autonomous Republic, or Azerbaijan will insist that uh, Azerbaijan should implement customs control and maybe also passport, passport and customs control 
along with Russian peacekeepers, along with Lachin Corridor. Uh, this was first time publicly stated by President Aliyev just before the trilateral meeting with Prime Minister Pashinyan and Charles Michel. But obviously, uh, it was uh, clear uh, from Armenian side that this is what Azerbaijan wants. This is when Azerbaijan speaks about Zangazor Corridor, like passage via Sunik province, highway, railway, without, with no Armenian passport or customs control. And immediately after Aliyev's statement, Prime Minister Pashinyan made a Facebook uh, Facebook statement or Facebook post arguing that what President Aliyev is doing, it has nothing to do with this trilateral statement signed in November 10, January 11, November 26, and Armenia absolutely against this logic to connect this restoration of communications with the issue of Latin Corridor, and that Armenia will continue to insist on this approach. Now, regarding this Azerbaijani demand that, okay, I uh, would like to have access via Armenia to Nakhchivan Autonomous Republic uh, without any Armenian passport and customs control. The first issue which raises in Armenians' minds that before the 2020 war, Azerbaijan have uh, access to Nakhchivan via Islamic Republic of Iran. And uh, as far as we know, Azerbaijan never raised such an issue with Iran that, okay, because Nakhchivan is a part of Azerbaijan and we are using your territory as a transit, we would like to have no Iranian passport or customs control for Azerbaijani freight and Azerbaijani citizens traveling via Iran to reach to Nakhchivan Autonomous Republic. So first issue which is raising among Armenians, okay, why if Azerbaijan uh, used the Iranian territory to reach Nakhchivan for 26 years and it was absolutely okay with Iranian's passport and customs control, why Azerbaijan would like or demand from Armenia to provide the same way to be connected with Nakhchivan, but without customs and passport control. If its only reason is that Armenia was defeated during the 2020 war, and like going back into this famous Tukidides uh, statement that, okay, weak must suffer and strong my, uh, may strong, strong part should reach what it wants, and a weak side must suffer what it must uh, to suffer. I mean, this is Azerbaijani approach that now Armenia is defeated, uh, and so Azerbaijan is in a position to demand and receive everything, uh, whatever Azerbaijan wants. This is the only reason, because again, the issue is okay. Twenty-six years, Azerbaijan uses Iranian territory and was absolutely happy with customs and passport control uh, implemented via Iran, and also in general when uh, states using each other's territories to reach uh, other places, they are okay with customs and passport control. For example, Armenia uses Georgian territory to reach to Russia, but there was no such a discussion, even no one in Armenia saw that, okay, let's ask Georgia that, look, you should not implement any customs and passport control uh, when we are traveling through Georgian territory. Of course, Russia traveling through Georgian territory, Armenians traveling through Georgian territory to Russia, and Azerbaijan wants to travel via Armenia to Azerbaijan, but in any case, Azerbaijan is going to cross the international border. So. Why Azerbaijan didn't demand the same conditions from Islamic Republic of Iran for using the Iranian territory to reach Nakhichevan? Okay, let me answer this question in separately. First of all, about okay. Lachin Corridor and uh, Zangizur Corridor, kind of the issues, whatever the what uh, the, the president was stating today. Uh, Lachin Corridor is Azerbaijani territory it doesn't have extraterritoriality status. So Armenian citizens from Armenia crossing the Azerbaijani international borders 
come to Karabakh without any checkpoints. It doesn't mean oh, that again, with Russian checkpoints. Russian, Russian. Without with Russian checkpoints. What was Russian checkpoints? The same way, the same way. I'm planning as Azerbaijani go to without any kind of issues extraterritoriality. I think the biggest challenge in explanation from Azerbaijani side to Armenians that Azerbaijan does not require or want any extraterritoriality of a lot of people called Zangizur corridor, Sunni corridor, I would call it Megri corridor that was back from the 2000, 2001. So not extraterritoriality. I want to pass this territory to just reach my compatriots in Nakhchivan. Because if there's Armenian checkpoints, that, that small threat can be cut down anymore. So it would be fantastic if there's no checkpoints at all. But if there's a checkpoint, it's better to be a Russian checkpoint, the same way as Russian checkpoint standing on Lachin corridor. So that's kind of, we give you one corridor, you give you another corridor. So corridor for corridor, that's one thing. As for the comparison of the corridors, uh, if you look at this, if we have examples of the, if I'm not mistaken, again, don't catch me on my word, the Russian trains traveling from Russia to Kaliningrad. I don't think they're passing through the checkpoint. They go through the kind of this corridor via Belarusia, via Lithuania, and to Kaliningrad without any checkpoints. So what if, why it's allowed for Russians to go to Kaliningrad, and Kaliningrad is Nakhchivan. So through the territory of NATO, EU country. And here I have a neighbor, Armenia, with whom I hope will not have a, we're talking about 40 kilometers, passing through Armenian territory. So that's what we want to compare, not with the Armenians going to Black Sea through the Georgian territory and say, don't check me, not from that perspective. So this was kind of thing. Again, it's not about matter of extraterritoriality. Azerbaijan does not have any claims, territorial claims, because a lot of people in Armenia think that it's just beginning. So they want a corridor, next step is taking away whole Zangur Sunik and coming to Armenia. Azerbaijan does not have any territorial claims to Armenia. Azerbaijan pushing for more and more, trying to bring Armenia side for the negotiations on delimitations and demarcation of the border. Once the demarcation and delimitation is in place, that's all. We recognize each other's borders. That's what Azerbaijan is trying to do for the last year, to bring Armenians for negotiations for demarcation. Regarding this... Uh corridor for corridor issue. Am I right that from Azerbaijani perspective, the best case scenario is to have zero control while traveling via Sunni province? Like it will be the same as you will travel from Baku to Shaki, passing through Sungait. Let's say this way. This is a best case scenario. And the worst case scenario is only Russian controlled uh, highway and uh, railways. This is worst case scenario for Azerbaijan. And any Armenian checkpoint or Armenian control is unacceptable for Azerbaijan. I mean, am I right? It's okay. Best case scenario, zero control. Think... Worst case scenario, Russia only Russian control. And unacceptable scenario, Armenian control. I think the best scenario would be, again, no control that's directly passing through to the Armenian territory is the best scenario. As, as Russians travel to Kaliningrad without any border control, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the worst, worst would be Armenian checkpoints. And the kind of the so-called between will be the Russian, the same way as Russian standing in Latin corridor. I don't think the Russian right. control is the worst things, taking into consideration that all the sides have a maximum 
to, to the standing of the polar side. Azerbaijan wants no control of the passing through the Armenian territories. Armenians want Armenian control from this side. So if there's something between them, it's a Russian control or Russian checkpoints through the territory of Armenia. But again, no extraterritoriality issues. That's not even at the tables that let's give the extraterritoriality for us. So Russian control could be like a compromise solution from Azerbaijani perspective. For the point, like yes, Azerbaijan the will not receive everything which it wants, like no control. Armenia will not receive everything which Armenia wants, like purely or only Armenian control. So from Azerbaijani perspective, uh, like the identical arrangement as in Lachin Corridor would be a compromise solution. Well, that's the same way it was written in the agreement that all economic and transport links in the region shall be restored. Republic of Armenia guarantees the safety of, I'm reading it, transport of links between Western regions of Azerbaijan and Nakhchivan in order to organize an unimpeded movement of citizens, vehicles, and goods. Control over transport shall be exercised by the bodies of the bodyguard service of the Federal Security Service of Russia. So that's what is an agreement. That's what because Azerbaijan. Because the keyword is unimpeded, because from exactly. Armenian perspective, that this is the unimpeded, case. Unimpeded. Yes, un unimpeded does not mean no Armenian control, because you can, you may have, or you can have passport or customs control, but also to say that it's unimpeded. For example, now we well, cannot say you that may have, Georgia well, does you may not have... provide unimpeded uh, passage through its territory for Armenia. So from Armenian perspective, the word unimpeded does not mean zero control because you can control but if everything is legal uh, you are not able to create some artificial obstacles so this is armenian perspective that okay guys the, there is a world corridor only on lachin and on the the transportation links between western regions of azerbaijan and nakhjivan autonomous republic there is this world to provide unimpeded passage of uh, freight and persons Good. but from armenian perspective unimpeded does not mean zero control so this is Armenian, uh, Armenian perspective. But let's come back to our host, uh, Aspet Hobik. Uh, hope we are not too much uh, indulged into monologue or dialogue. If you have any questions or any uh, remarks, please. My concerns, you've echoed them already, that the term, let's not get hung up on the term, whether it's a, a transportation link or a corridor. But I think for Armenians, the term corridor has always included a certain territorial uh, um, aspect, sovereignty issue. And so I think that is um, understandably a point of um, contention for Armenians to call it the Zangizur corridor, the Sunni corridor, or something like that. But you're absolutely right about the unimpeded, unfettered access. Um, and, and you and I have talked uh, about this before. I've, uh, I've asked, for example, what does it mean to have unimpeded access? Does that mean drugs could run across our territory and there would be no control and we could suffer, for example, um, uh, sanctions from Western countries because our uh, 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 Sunik is a transit corridor for uh, drugs and weapons and uh, terrorists or whatever, and Armenia would have no control? And those are major concerns to say, um, is that unimpeded or is that uh, illegal activity that Armenians could stop, right? And uh, when you said, for example, um, legal activity, what is the term legal? Uh, is Armenia able to uh, enforce legal activity, illegal activity on its uh, territory? And is that part of sovereignty? Let, let me bring the example Honor? of, yes. yeah, just so if you allow me, unimpeded, for example. For a certain period of time, 
I would say between the six to nine month Armenian tracks from the south of Sunik to the north of Sunik unimpededly was passing through Azerbaijani territory. I think it is 17 to 20 kilometers. There was no checkpoint. You mean the road between uh, exactly. the recent Kapan cities? Exactly, absolutely, yes. So the, only recently there was a, become a checkpoint, there become a customs uh, kind of a control or so, but that was unimpededly Armenian tracks was passing through Azerbaijani territory to another Armenian territory, right? So we never, we never, we never kind of the claim that this is kind of Armenians transporting the weapons through Azerbaijani territory from south to north, or drugs, or I don't know, human trafficking, especially from Iran or something like that. Whenever Azerbaijan saw that Armenian uh, Iranian tracks passing through and then go to Karabakh, then Azerbaijan simply sent a strong message to Iran that. We do not want your tracks to be in Karabakh because this is our territory. This is what this is what all the issues with Iran started. But Armenian tracks was easily was passing through that. Armenians cars were having unimpededly. There was no checkpoint. That's what it means. The word unimpeded. That's in, in our understanding. And everybody in Azerbaijan was telling, okay, it's fine. So this is a territory they're passing through uh, from Kafan to Koris. That, that, that's fine with them. It's fine. The same way I want to travel over there to Nakhchivan. What's the problem? Okay, now let's jump into these regional actors, mostly on Russia and Turkey, because I don't believe we have enough time to discuss European Union, United States, Iran, and maybe bring even other potential players like India and China, but let's speak about Russia. Uh, so what's Azerbaijan perspective is on these Russian peacekeepers deployed in uh, Nagorno-Karabakh? And what are the Azerbaijan's perspective about the future of these uh, forces? Like uh, Azerbaijan believes that Azerbaijan will do everything possible, so there will be no extension of Russian peacekeepers, or Azerbaijan is okay with these Russian peacekeepers, and doubt Azerbaijan believes that the deployment of Russian troops, okay, peacekeepers, but in any case, they are troops, like soldiers with guns. Uh, it means that additional uh, Russian leverage on Azerbaijan, so these three issues. Does you believe that Russia go to additional leverage over Azerbaijan, because now Russian troops are deployed in Nagorno-Karabakh? Uh, do you believe that uh, Azerbaijan should do everything possible uh, to push uh, Russian troops out of Nagorno-Karabakh after November 2025? Second issue, question, which Armenians are interested to understand. And third one, what may happen if, this is a big if, if that, uh, for example, Azerbaijan demands Russian peacekeepers to leave, in November 2025. But for whatever reasons, Russia finds some excuses and uh, Russian troops will still there. And Well, let me just tell you that uh, there is a certain perception, and I think very strong perception about Russian troops in Azerbaijan, Russian peacekeepers, because we have a long history of having a little bit negative image of Russian soldiers in Azerbaijan because of the involvement of the Hojala massacre or helping of Armenian separatists during the first Karabakh war and so on. But there's a certain type of the understanding that the Russian peacekeepers in Karabakh involvement was a little bit positive for Azerbaijan because uh, they stopped the war. Uh, because if there's no Russian involvement, there will be much more victims and much more casualties from both sides. And more especially from Armenian side, especially from civilian side. We still don't know how many people were living in Khankandi uh, during the 
once over Azerbaijan uh, regained Shusha, we didn't know how many people live in Khankandi. Some people say that there was only six, seven people together with Araik. Uh, was 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 Araik? Between but, you mean president? Yeah. Yes, yes, but but there is it could be a several thousand living over there, and even killing of one or two of them would be a really huge image blow for Azerbaijan. Or kind of again, that it goes against any kind of the civilian type of the uh, intervention. So the Russian involvement saved a lot of soldiers' life from both from Azerbaijani side and from Armenian side, civilian side. So and now Azerbaijan look at uh, at Russian peacekeepers from this perspective that to reconcile, to reconcile Azerbaijani uh, community of Karabakh with Armenian community of Karabakh. So there's a role of Russians over there is through reconciliation. Hopefully they will be able to finish the reconciliation by 2024. Uh, uh, so that's what kind of the uh, understand. If they finish it by that time, that will be great. If they don't finish, so the time will show. But again, the role of Turkey is also important over here. We should not forget about the role of Turkey. It's not only Russia over here, it's also Turkey. And this uh, should be kind of taken into consideration the Turkish interests also in the whole region rather than the Russians. Yeah, I believe we also should touch a little bit the role of Turkey, but to finish with Russia, so if I got you right, there is no strong feeling in Azerbaijan that uh, somehow the part of Nagorno-Karabakh is de facto under Russian control or even de facto under Russian occupation, that these Russian peacekeepers are de facto close to occupant uh, forces and other should yeah. do everything to kick them out. Okay. Uh, because the you said that theoretically if there is no reconciliation or whatever Azerbaijan understands all this term, but if there is no reconciliation until 2025. So Azerbaijan will be ready to extend for another five, for another period of time until the final reconciliation. The, the time will show because the fear of the turning Karabakh into South Ossetia is still there. Because we, I mean, expert opinion, opinion also, there's also public opinion that whenever the Russian peacekeepers appears, whether it's Abkhazia, Transnistria, South Ossetia immediately there's independence of these regions or certain type of the continuation of the separatism happens. So we hope that this Karabakh will not turn into the South Ossetia. Karabakh will not turn into the Abkhazia type of effect. So it will be kind of Russian peacekeepers will bring real peace to the region and will help to reconcile the region, open up the region. And I pretty much a lot of people see Russian role in the region, especially with uh, helping Azerbaijan to open Zangezur corridor, helping Armenia and Azerbaijan to delimit and demark, uh, to work with demarcation and delimitation of the border is extremely positive. From that perspective, Russian role in demarcation, delimitation, in transport corridor is pretty much positive. Okay, now let's speak a little bit about Turkey's role. From Armenian perspective, there is a feeling that in Azerbaijan, now there are both excitement about Turkey's support and Turkey's role in the Azerbaijani victory of 2020, but also that there are some fears that Turkish influence is growing more and more. And at the end of the day, Azerbaijan might, if not the euro, at least de facto become another Turkish protectorate. What the role of Turkey and the growing influence of Turkey or increased influence of Turkey over Azerbaijan, because Turkey was influential in Azerbaijan also before the 2020 war. It is not the case that Turkey entered Azerbaijan only starting from September 27, 2020, but definitely uh, now uh, Turkey has 
increased influence in Azerbaijan. How is this perceived in Azerbaijan? Only as a positive thing that is perceived as a balance against the, the Russian influence through peacekeepers, or or also there are fears that maybe Azerbaijan is in the road to at least de facto become uh, something like a Turkish uh, protectorate. Well, I don't think there's a fear of Azerbaijan becoming another province of Turkey or becoming uh, the Turkish kind of protectorate or something like that. There's no such kind of a fear. Uh, yes, it's a brotherly nation. We always was brotherly nation, but there was no kind of a feeling that uh, Turkey will occupy Azerbaijan or Turkey, Azerbaijan will become part of it. Uh, if you look at the perception of Azerbaijan about Turkey for the last 10 or 15 years, it's not only improved, but it's a skyrocket, especially trust level. Uh, and it's, it's everything. It's everything, especially Turkish soft power. Turkish soft power in education. Turkish soft power in medicine, Turkish soft power in military weapons, Turkish soft power in D-Serials or something like that. So it's completely everywhere in Azerbaijan. And Azerbaijan, look at a Turkey as a model to emulate whether it's economic development, whether it's a political development, whether it's a cultural development and so on. Because there is no other country in the region that Azerbaijan can emulate. I believe personally that once Armenian and uh, Turkish borders will be closed, uh, will opened, Armenia will emulate Turkey also, because this is the only example in the region, uh, kind of, the, I would say I would love to have a more example, but this is the only example in the closer region, which we can emulate, especially with economic, with economic, okay, not recent economic issues with Turkey, but overall <laughs> economic, with overall economic uh, issues of the Turkey, economic development of Turkey, uh, political development, uh, social, cultural, and so on. So there's no fear that Turkey would come in Azerbaijan and compared to other countries, I wouldn't just a name that usually come in uh, in masses with the weapons and so on. Turkey does not come with the weapons. Turks will not do, does not come with the Turks do not come with the some kind of military bases. They come with the soft power. They come with a certain type of the benefits to the society, and we see this benefit. And let's, at the last, let's also tie the issue of this 3 plus 2 format, which was supposed to be 3 plus 3, but as of today, Georgia clearly rejected to participate due to its problems or disagreements or conflict with Russia. So from Azerbaijani perspective, what this 3 plus 2 format means? Because uh, the format first was uh, offered by President, uh, President Erdogan during his visit to Azerbaijan in early December 2020 to participate in the military military parade and then it was immediately supported by president azerbaijan so uh but a lot of experts also also in armenia believes that this three plus two is in reality is a one plus one like this is a russia turkey initiative to manage the competition or competition cooperation or competitive cooperation or cooperative competition in the south caucasus and this is mostly a russia turkey initiative and other um, okay, Armenia and Azerbaijan joins like uh, some other players and Iran's position was always said that the regional issues should be solved by regional players. So Iran was always okay for this as far as there is no United States and no Israel in the region. So what are the Azerbaijanis' perspective on this 3 plus 2? Does Azerbaijan agree that this is mostly a Russia-Turkey initiative and uh, does Azerbaijan feel that this somehow it will be easier for Azerbaijan to push it's interesting in this three plus two format. Well, it's I, I wouldn't just uh, 
will kind of talk about this kind of conspiracy theory that it's a Russians and no, it's not conspiracy, it's just kind of the public perception is Russian and, and Turks came over here to the region and not let European Union or Americans yes. to come to the region and divide the regions. Okay, I will not touch this because we still don't know about that. Uh, what I would touch that, what is the catch of Azerbaijan from this perspective? It's another kind of opportunity. It's another tool to bring the regional powers to the region and open up the region from economic perspective, from social perspective, from humanitarian perspective, let's open up the region. So the signal of Azerbaijan is, again, through this platform is the war is over. Let's not go back to what's happened before. Let's look at the future. And the future is opening all the transportation corridors. Future is a cooperation, economic cooperation between Armenia, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Turkey, Turkey, Armenia, everybody let's live together. Let's have economic cooperation together. That's a signal that Azerbaijan, that's a kind of the catch Azerbaijan want to take from this plan. Again, war is over. We don't go back to this, what's happened before. Let's look at the future. So from Azerbaijani perspective, this three plus two platform is another indicator of not post-war situation, but post-conflict situation. Because Azerbaijanis are speaking about post-conflict when Armenia speaks about post-war. Yes, there was a second Karabakh war, but conflict is there. Azerbaijan speaks that, okay, this is not, we are not in a post-war situation, we are in a post-conflict situation. And so from Azerbaijani perspective, the launch of this three plus two is another indicator that really as a region is in the, or at least Armenia, Azerbaijan, let's not touch Georgia with Abkhazia, South Ossetia, which is a different issue. At least Armenia and Azerbaijan are in a, not in a post-war situation, but in a post-conflict situation. Yeah, and it's time to reconcile it's time to build the future together. Okay, let's also again come back to our hosts. I believe we passed the one hour time limit. If they have any other remarks or maybe any other questions, Afetovic. I I do have a, a few questions if you don't mind. Essentially, you know, the 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 part of the discussion around corridors was uh, interesting. But uh, we didn't talk about demarcation and the limitation uh, of the border between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And um, in Armenia, authorities have declared maps from a certain period uh, in the Soviet Union to be used as one of the bases for demarcation. And that is interesting to me because uh, in the context of the corridor debate, um, you know, at least, at least according to some early Soviet maps that I've seen, Artsakh is directly connected to Armenia without any corridors. So even then, can, can the Berzor corridor uh, or Lachin, as you, uh, you would say, uh, have the same status as a corridor through Sunik that Azerbaijanis want? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I will add that, yes, a lot of Armenians, also Armenian government uh, is speaking that we are going to use early 1920s this under federation Soviet Republic maps, because there was a uh, Transcaucasian Soviet uh, Federative Republic from December 1922 until I believe 1936. And from our Armenian perspective, we should use as a base for demarcations this uh, late 1920s map. What's this, are there any debate in Azerbaijan? Okay, if we speak, let's speak, if we speak about delimitation and demarcation and about Soviet borders or Soviet maps, but what type of Soviet maps. Are there any such debates? Uh, should we go back to this Transnistrian Soviet Federative Republic of 
1922, 1936, or we should go back in more lately state of Soviet Union, like 1970s or even early 1980s, or what Azerbaijani thinks about this delegation and uh, demarcation. There, there's no much kind of the debates about which map because the map issue for which map to use for 1922, 1936, or something like that, it's not debate for us. It's for us, it's, it's for us, it's not necessarily too much important what map to use, Te not map to use, but technically, whenever the Soviet Union collapsed on the territory we got, that's a line of the separation between Armenian borders or from Azerbaijani borders. So, technically, what is and even Putin? Kind of in one of the, his statements said that uh, the division of the border should be based on the uh, general staff's maps of that is located in Russia from that perspective. That was a signal that it's Russian should be involved in the delimitation. But in our case, again, it's a collapse of the Soviet Union and just a recognition of Azerbaijan and Armenia on its borders. That's a point where the uh, demarcation delimitations of their borders should be. There's no such kind of thing. So that, I mean, if you can bring the different type of the maps, then there will be kind of another wave of the map war between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Does that also include uh, Shahumyan region, for instance, if, if you're talking about the collapse of the Soviet Union borders? Sorry. Well, if, uh... Yeah, sure, sure. Shamian region, what you're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, Tartar or Gyurambo region of Azerbaijan, are they yes. are Azerbaijani territories. Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast was part of Azerbaijan. There is no such kind of things as a, there's not, it wasn't part of Armenia, it was a part of Azerbaijan. It has autonomous status, but it's a part of Azerbaijan. So in your opinion, when the, uh, the, the point when, uh, when do you consider the Soviet Union to be officially broken up? And during when the Soviet Union broke up, in your opinion, was, uh, was that region, uh, Shahumyan, or I believe, um, yeah, I don't know what the Azerbaijani term for it is. You know, was that part of the Nagorno-Karabakh autonomous oblast? Because I just would add the honor, because if uh, I believe you know that uh, when on September 2nd, 1991, Nagorno-Karabakh Republic was established on September 2, 1991, three days after August 30, Declaration of Independence of Azerbaijan Republic, uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh Republic, there was a joint session of the Council of Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Region and the Council of Xiaomian, uh, Xiaomian Region. So uh, Nagorno-Karabakh Republic declared its independence on September 2nd, 1991 on the territories comprised of Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast plus Xiaomian, uh, Xiaomian Region. So from Armenian perspective, we strongly believe that the declaration of independence of Nagorno-Karabakh Republic, which took place on September 2, 1991, this was in line, according fully in accordance with Soviet laws, based on the April 3, 1990 law of the cessation of Soviet republics from Soviet Union. So that is why, from Armenian perspective, uh, when we speak about Nagorno-Karabakh Republic initially, not including these seven regions which were outside of Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast, but we believe that on September 2, 1991, before the large scale, before the breakup of the first large-scale war, the Nagorno-Karabakh Republic was declared on the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast plus Shahumyan region of uh, former Soviet Azerbaijan. And that is why there were some discussions when Azerbaijanis was telling, okay, why we should provide the corridor or the part of Lachin region as a corridor to link 
Karabakh to, to Armenia, which should have the same status as finally should have the Nagorno-Karabakh. There was also discussions that, okay, we simply may uh, like make a change from the region for Latin region. I mean, Hovik applied to this, that from Armenian perspective, when Nagorno-Karabakh Republic was declared on September 2, 1991, it was declared not only on the territories of former Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast itself, but former Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast, this 4,400 square kilometers, plus Shahumyan region, which I believe was part of Soviet Azerbaijan Khanla region, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Okay. I think what's a point zero from, from what Azerbaijan discussed everything for the world, it's a recognition of Azerbaijan in its current territorial borders. The whole within, world. Within the late Soviet Azerbaijan borders, like uh, including from whenever the Soviet, yeah, number, yes. This, whenever the Soviet Union collapsed, the world, all countries of the world recognized Azerbaijan and its current borders. That's a point zero. Whatever happens inside of Azerbaijan, whatever Azerbaijani government, some Azerbaijan is declared Zangezur Azerbaijan Republic, whatever this happens, or Yerevan Independent Republic, Yerevan Independent Republic, it's within the borders, whatever it's happened. The world recognized Armenia in its current territories, and no country can claim Azerbaijan, uh, Armenian territories, including Zangezur, including Sunik, including all others. The same way Azerbaijan was recognized in the borders of what it is right now. First. Second one, reality. Let's talk about reality. Let's not go back. Let's think about the future. Because if we go back to the what, whatever happens for 26 years, we will be bogged down to all these problems. Let's think about how can we get out rather than to small TD things, TDBD things like legal issues, from that legal issues, from this. It will, I mean, look what's really recently happened in The Hague. So Azerbaijan put forward eight claims, Armenian put six claims and so on. So we'll continue to this kind of the claim wars from the legal perspective. And forgetting about that, the future is about development. The future is about economic development and opening the borders. Opening the borders means opening the communication lines between the whole region. Because we're very so, rich. Which, from Azerbaijan perspective, that. also should imply the corridors, like okay, let's not call, communication. Let's make, you have a you have a kind of the how to how to call allergy for the word corridor. Let's put like this way: passing by, Zangezur passing by. I mean, if, if you don't like the word corridor, let's not call it corridor. Zangezur communication line, Zangezur passing by, whatever you want to call. It. Okay, getting past that issue though, there is one thing that I've interest uh, that that I notice interestingly here that you are fairly simple in thinking about Azerbaijan territory and Armenian territory. But in Armenian society, there's a huge amount of discussion as to which maps, which you said is not that important or there's not that much discussion. Because if we look at dates and technicalities, and perhaps you know Armenians are hung up on these things, and these are not going to turn out to be things on the negotiation table between the leaders. But if you think about the Soviet Union, um, collapsing officially on December 26, I think, 1991. Or 21, I believe. Maybe December 21. Is it December 21? Okay. Yes, when um, this agreement was signed to establish CIS. Right. Commonwealth various, various other declarations and referendums had happened. So those are technically um, things that Armenians think about. Or we think about the 20s maps versus the 30s maps versus the, the 70s maps. In each one of them, and we have some podcasts that indicate how the maps have changed, 
There are enclaves, Azerbaijani enclaves inside Armenia, Armenian enclaves inside Azerbaijan. There are trades and whatever. So we think that these uh, issues of which maps are getting used are very important uh, to us. I, uh, it could be, but it's a decision of the whatever commission will be established between Armenians and Azerbaijanis, right? I'm not geographer. And neither, I guess, you are geographer or military <laughs> map maker or something like that. But the first, the first step for that is just to, to come up with a certain type of agreement. An agreement is, let's start process. Mm -hmm. So that's what Azerbaijan was trying to push for one year. Let's start the process. Because whatever we have right now on the border between Lachin and Kalbajar and Lachin Kalbajar region and Armenian side of the region, this kind of the shootings, the killings, it's all that happens because the border is not established. In fact, the border, technically there was never border over there because in the Soviet time, there was no kind of typical borders. And then one of these two regions were occupied by Armenians, Armenians considered this territory as their own and they didn't think about that the future will be a border at all. So now we, we come back, we restored our borders, but Neither Armenian side nor Azerbaijani side where exactly this border is lying. And that's why there's problems. So Azerbaijan was trying to say that, okay, guys, let's come up. Let's come up at least with a commission, committee, whatever you want. Let's delimit or demark our the borders. That's what we tried to do for one year. Just one reason. jumping, maybe small yes. question. Am I right that when Azerbaijan speaks about let's start the delimitation of demarcation protest, but also I hear from Azerbaijani experts and also from Azerbaijani officials that uh, to start the protest, we need to agree on the principles of the protest. And the key principle is to recognize, uh, to recognize mutual territorial integrity within, okay, within the Soviet borders uh, on late, or within the 1991 Soviet borders. So am I right that Azerbaijan is not only telling that let's start the process, but Azerbaijan is telling we want the protest, but to be able to start the protest first, we should agree on principles. And the number well, one principle is mutual recognition of territorial integrity of each other. Well, that's, that will be ideal to start with the mutual recognitions of the, each other's territories. Because recognition of the border means I recognize that your border is this one. You have a sovereignty of your territory. You and you recognize the sovereignty of my authority over that side of the border. That automatically means recognitions of territorial integrity of each other. So we talked a lot about, you know, working, looking towards the future. And within that context, you, well, I also heard uh, our guest mention that, you know, you recognize Armenia's territorial integrity. You know, I also want to go a little bit into the mind of Armenians traditionally in terms of, you know, especially like, you know, um, as victims of the Armenian genocide, including the partition of Armenia and so forth. If, if it's so important to look towards the future, do you think that Azerbaijani authorities uh, have a little bit of responsibility in terms of the language they use, uh, both in terms of like high level officials, even uh, university professors and, and, and people who are in the public, uh, I've seen some maps shared um, of the Turkic world with Armenia just being a little wedge inside and uh, someone saying, I, don't, I won't say who, but someone saying that, you know, which country artificially, underlining artificially, divides the Turkish world. And what kind of message do you think that sends to Armenians and does that make Armenia uh, hopeful? To I understand. I think once we go for reconciliation, uh, peace process, 
it would require not only from Azerbaijan, but also from Armenia to watch over the rhetorics. We're talking about textbooks. We're talking about the mass media, uh, taking away all the possible kind of the things that can irritate the other side. Again, today you may find a lot of maps in Azerbaijani Facebook or whatever they're showing small Armenian, big Azerbaijan. If I go to Armenian Facebook, they will bring me map of Tigran the Great, encompassing from the, I don't know, half of the Turkey and whole Azerbaijan. I'm not saying whatever they, they doing is just can be justified, but you have to understand this is a, we're talking about the almost 30 year period of the war. We're talking about 30 year period of the mutual distrust. I don't want to use the word hate. It's too much. It's too strong. word. I would say the distrust. And using this word kind of distrust and discourse and so on, it definitely has certain type of the messages that could be considered very insulting for Armenian side. The same way from Armenian side, whatever they stating could be kind of considered insulting for Azerbaijan side. It is, yes, I, I, I wouldn't say that this is a right, but that, that happens, whether it's a kind of university professors, whether it's a certain type of the person who will tell such things, it could go beyond the certain type of the borders, meaning let's say coming even to bring into the hate speech. I mean, former Armenian president simply stated that Azerbaijanis and Armenians genetically cannot live together. That was already hate message. No Azerbaijani president, no Azerbaijani public official ever stated that Armenians and Azerbaijanis cannot live together. I never, I never even heard from any university professor. While in Armenian society, I mean, even president was stating that Azerbaijanis, even today, Armenian Karabakh Armenians said, we don't want to live with Azerbaijanis. While Azerbaijanis of Karabakh said, we want to live with Armenians. That's the message I would say that. Uh, all right, uh, Benjamin, do you have any uh, closing thoughts for us? Okay, very, very few things. First of all, thanks to you, Kai, and also thanks to Honor for uh, yeah. providing his time for this interesting discussion. Obviously, we have different views and we did not uh, agree with each other on many issues and we do not accept uh, our statements. But in any case, I believe this is very important at least to have this type of discussions, not only to declare the positions because positions we know with positions we know from official statements we can go into the official web pages of the prior president of Azerbaijan prime minister of Armenia etc but these are useful to trying to explain the logic why Armenians or Azerbaijanis think this way and why they believe that they are things the right way or why they believe that what they think is, is the right what they think is the right thing and uh, for this I believe this is very important Especially uh, in this uh, situation of, okay, uh, I'm not want to sound very pessimistic, but in any case, after 13 months of the Second Karabakh War, I'm not sure that we have even the inch closer to the solution of the conflict from Armenian perspective, or as Azerbaijanis are telling, there is no conflict, we need to reach a peace. But I'm not sure that even we are inch closer to this peace from Azerbaijani perspective, or we are not even an inch closer to the solution of conflict from Armenian perspective. Hopefully this type of discussions uh, within the uh, academic framework with also the frank discussions should be useful also to share to the English speaking Armenian audience, not only Armenian audience, because uh, I know that this podcast is not heard 
or viewed only by Armenians, but generally mostly by English-speaking uh, Armenians or Armenian diaspora, I believe these type of podcasts are useful and hope this will uh, help uh, both audiences here in Armenia and Azerbaijan and so outside who are interested in the conflict, starting from experts and ending from like academicians and anyone who's interested in the conflict to have better understanding what, not only again, what side thinks, because for this you can go simply to the official statement and read the official statement, but what is the logic behind the way of thinking of sides and are there any chances that something may move uh, forward or uh, again we will spend some 10 15 or 20 years of discussions or uh, blames and then everything will be ended by third or fourth Karabakh war let well, me if you quickly add that we have a small yet vocal azeri and turkish following on uh, youtube okay so because we are reaching also to we are these reaching, audiences that's right Honor, please. Yeah, just want to. I don't want to share kind of the Benjamin's pessimism. I think the future is bright. I think we are going toward the better world and better world for the region. Uh, my advice would be for future, if we're going to organize such kind of event, it would be nice to bring young generation of people, especially students, uh, to listen. Armenian students listening, Azerbaijani professors, and Azerbaijani students listening, Armenian professors, because. This is what with whom we have to work with, mostly young generation, in order for them to, because they will be building our future, they will be building our region, not us, technically. We are already kind of doomed to live in our past, but this young generation, this young generation will be building much better peace. And I see the hope. I see the hope because the younger generation do not have such kind of the hate that the older generation has. The younger generation have a better hope and the younger generation have better future, I believe. Thank okay, you. Uh, let's Moving. hope that at least for a younger generation will have better future. We all hope that. And I fully agree that, okay, it's uh, not fully agree, but this is a fact that the future is a younger generation. This is a, even uh, uh, laws of physics or nature, let's put this way. And I'm, I can bet with you, Benjamin, exactly in one year, the situation will be much better. Uh, the work, the, the region will be much better from the perspective within a one year. So I, I'm pretty much can bet with anyone. But don't okay, be pessimistic. Not the best, there, will be no, uh... there will be no more wars. There will be no more wars. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't be so pessimistic. Let's hope those are great predictions. Hovik, do you have any final thoughts before we close? I will leave it to our audience to judge whether this was a useful venture and we would like the feedback from the audience um, but perhaps that this discussion itself will be, uh, you know, a catalyst for others to have their own discussions and to eventually reach an agreement that will allow uh, peace in the region to prevail. Yeah, I think talking to each other is very important, regardless of what, what level the conflict is on. Uh, all right, um, we're going to leave it there today. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, I really appreciate everyone's participation in this. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Anar. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you okay. Bye. All right. Um, Hovig, that leaves the two of us co-hosts of this uh, podcast. What were your impressions of uh, the conversation? Despite the emotional side of our myself, you know, I wanted to have this discussion to understand. Um, okay, just you know, tell me, explain your logic. 
Um, and I also want to, you know, mention that for me, this was, you know, not an attempt at, you know, the cliche, you know, make Dolma not war or having these track to diplomacy things. This was simply to, you know, talk to someone uh, who may be representative of the official Azari position and understand their logic. I'm not sure if it, you know, if it achieved anything material, but maybe that was not an expectation that we should have uh, mm -hmm. after coming after a war. Um, I uh, agree with you, yeah. by the way, that um, about the track two diplomacy, this is, we, we've tried to make it clear that we're not track two diplomacy, at best they can call us podcast diplomacy. Um, and uh, exploring, a little. think of this as a little bit of an experiment in, um, does it work uh, at our level to talk uh, to the other uh, experts and understand what their views are and what we're missing and um, to see if um, they're missing something that we think is just uh, obvious. What were some of the, you know, your impressions about the substance of the discussion itself? I got hung up on a couple of uh, words when Anar uh, Valiev was talking about, for example, um, the conversation between Benjamin and Anar was about uh, Armenians who have left Hadrut uh, and are those not citizens of Azerbaijan, just as uh, Anar was claiming that um, their government wants to say it. And he said, well, uh, there's a, a lot of trust to rebuild between the societies before these people can uh, come back to their homes and everything and other Armenians can come back to uh, Arapa. And I felt, um, you know, I got hung up on the word back and maybe there's not enough understanding in their societies that the Armenians of Arapa are not going from Armenia to Azerbaijan. Uh, these people are indigenous to their homes in Arapa. They've been there for uh, generations, centuries, and even millennia, and uh, they have monuments there. But that didn't seem to be uh, something that at least his response indicated to me that there is a real cognizance that these people were at home, not uh, had emigrated from Armenia to uh, Arapah. Right. How about you? You know, our guest mentioned that Azerbaijan wants peace. Our guest mentioned that Azerbaijan is interested in the future. Uh, and one of the statements was, you know, if there was any interest to erase Armenians' uh, presence from uh, Artsakh, we could have just carpet bombed you, I believe. And because uh, Azerbaijan didn't do that, then um, it's an evidence of, of the humanitarian approach towards They're the conflict. And in fact, he, he said that this was, you know, I think he, he tried to imply that this was um, one of the more humane wars out there. He's, he called it merciful wars in the post Yes. In that case, you know, even then, like, I don't understand, you know, you know the use of Syrian mercenaries, uh, these gray area fighters who are not bound by any international conventions is very interesting in that regard. The bombing of hospitals uh, in Stepanakert uh, is, is very interesting in that regard. And um, the use of white phosphor munitions uh, is also very interesting. So I think that there is a little bit of a discrepancy between the official, even the official position and the official language of Azerbaijani leadership and their actual uh, intent and their actual sort of action, you know, on the ground. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting to me. There was another uh, point I wanted to make, Hobig, uh, and that has to do with when we started talking a little bit about maps, uh, whether um, they're thinking about the maps from the 20s, the 60s, 70s, whatever. And his answer was, um, surprisingly fuzzy. He wanted um, 
on the territory that basically Azerbaijan and Armenia were recognized internationally upon the fall of the Soviet Union. And um, either for the podcast, he was very soft on that statement, but you know how Armenians have gotten uh, extremely technical on these issues, right? We've had a number of podcasts and we're not the only ones who've had such podcasts about uh, the maps from the 20s of the Soviet Union, uh, the maps from the 70s, the 80s, and then, and then dates, of course, not just the maps, because in any of these maps, the Armenians, uh, the Armenian territory includes Azerbaijani enclaves and Azerbaijan includes Armenian enclaves. And uh, demarcation delimitation is going to be very, very difficult based on which maps you use, right? All these negotiations are, so he didn't indicate that he is concerned about those things. He said basically by the end of the Soviet Union, which is 91, he wanted to uh, be recognizing those territories. Meanwhile, you and I talked a little bit about this earlier with Benjamin also, how um, the Soviet Union fell late in December, whether I can't remember 21 or 26, that's the, the, the final dissolution of the Soviet Union. And yet uh, Artsakh had declared independence in September and, uh, and uh, the referendum, I think uh, that uh, defines the independence of uh, Azerbaijan was in October. So if we were to look at dates, very technically speaking, I think there's basis to say Artsakh was never part, Artsakh Republic was never part of Azerbaijan after the Soviet Union. So all these things did not seem to concern him. Yeah. Um, um, about that. Uh, you know, one thing that I also Anar mentioned that is uh, to me interesting, and uh, I don't want to sort of prosecute that point without him present, but, you know, my issue is that Azerbaijanis have for many years said that the UN and the international community has recognized Armenia and Azerbaijan, and therefore they have recognized borders, uh, which is complete nonsense because, you know, when they recognize the independence, they do not recognize borders, and the international community has recognized the independence of Armenia and Azerbaijan, but the demarcation and the limitation of borders happens between two countries. That has never happened. So to me, the demarcation and delimitation, at least theoretically, could lead to the condition uh, that we have in the 1920s maps, where there is a direct border between Artsakh and Armenia. There is no corridor. Obviously, there, it's all up to negotiations. So maybe from the position of power, Azerbaijanis feel that, you know, hey, you know, we won. So what are you talking about? Yeah. But if we go truly by the logic of demarcation, delimitation, identifying, you know, how those borders got shrunk and got uh, gerrymandered away during the Soviet years is very important and whether there was uh, there's any legal basis for it. Yeah. And also taking into consideration the humanitarian issues, uh, you know, viability of Artsakh. If we recognize that Artsakh's, uh, you know, right for, for self-determination, despite what Azerbaijanis understand as self-determination, even if they claim that there's no such thing now, but mm -hmm. at one point they did, trading a little bit of lands around back and forth, you can create uh, a border with Armenia such that uh, Azerbaijan does not exert any control, and that will be in the humanitarian interests of the population of Artsakh and probably reduce conflict. So if Azerbaijan is truly interested in reducing conflict between army, you know, future bloodshed and future wars, then that would be, you know, one thing I would think that they would want to do. And I think in, in some ways that Anar's response um, in a very soft way was might makes right when Benjamin was pursuing the idea of what happened to 
the highest level of autonomy for um, Nagorno-Karabakh inside Azerbaijan. Basically, he was saying, um, now that we've won, what is the purpose of um, compromising on that, right? And if they want right. to be um, inclusive of the Armenian community, then um, how are they going to gain um, the trust of the Armenian community? I mean, we have a history where um, if they want to ensure that Karabakh uh, Artsakh is going to feel whole and complete, then their autonomy in there should be protected all the way up to their constitution, the way they have it for Nakhichevan, right? And speaking of Nakhichevan, right. and, and trust for Armenians, um, it was in uh, approximately 15 years ago that 1,600 of our Khachkars, very significant amount of monuments were destroyed, Armenian monuments in uh, Nakhichevan. Uh, in trying yeah. to get rid of Armenian traces. So, uh, in the end, I think that the public level of animosity and uh, mutual distrust is there, and it's at, at its maximum. Mm -hmm. And I do not see any, you know, um, attempt from the authorities, let's say, in Azerbaijan yeah. and the intellectual community in Azerbaijan to drive things towards uh, future peace by, you know, maybe compromising a little bit. So there's definitely a tendency to do maximalist approaches, trying to seize as much as they can. And I don't, you know, I'm not convinced that after this discussion that we're any farther from future conflict, unfortunately. But I completely agree with you that more uh, needs to be done on the part of their leadership uh, to build the trust between the societies. And, um, you know, as far as this um, experiment of ours today, talking with a Nazari expert, we will see what the response is online and offline and uh, see if it's worth continuing with our um, idea of uh, doing a 360 around uh, Armenia. That concludes this Conversations on Grung episode. Um, we found this kind of enlightening on our part and we hope that you have found it helpful as well. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. That concludes this week's conversation on Groom. We look forward to your feedback, including your suggestions for conversation topics in the future. Contact us on our website at groom.org. That's G-R-O-O-N-G. Or on our Facebook page, ann-groom. Or in our Facebook group, groom-Armenian News Network. Special thanks to Laura Osborne for providing the music for our podcast. I'm Hovik Manicharyan, and on behalf of everyone in this episode, I wish you a good week. Thank you for listening, and talk to you soon.